you know, when we talk about the activities that we do, uh, we're very fortunate here. You know, we don't have any professional teams. We've got a couple of AAA teams, uh, but we do have the bourbon industry. Yep. We have Churchill Downs, uh, and we've done the other fun things like throw axes and indoor go-karts and, you know, just a, a lot of fun, different activities. We've, you know, top golf and all of that stuff. So yeah. we, we try to have, we try to make it a good time where people want to come back. Yep. Uh, are you a golfer? Yeah, we just uh, just put a simulator in our in our warehouse. We got it last last week. I, I, it's something I've always wanted to to do. So it was a pretty cool moment to to put that up. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I try, I try my best. Yeah. So we and and I'm I'm not a you know I'm like a eighteen nineteen handicap. So I enjoy just getting out there. But we'll ask our dealer councils who wants to come in early and play around the golf. So yeah. instead of coming in for dinner Tuesday night, you might come in first thing Tuesday morning yeah. or maybe even the night before, and then we'll play a round of golf and then we'll meet everybody else for dinner. Yep. So, but we, we try to make it where you're ready to come and enjoy yeah. it. No. And I know, I mean, we, we just started working with you guys and I was invited to go to the, the one in November, but that wasn't going to happen because my wife was having our fourth uh, baby, like literally the day before. And I'm like, I, I can't, uh, I don't you think that would be a four? good thing. Yeah. I've got four little ones. Oh my gosh. Six, four, two and three months today. So <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you, it's, it's loud. Running a company. Yeah. Trying, <laughs> trying, trying so you to, got, you got boys, girls. What do you So my son, my oldest is, uh, it goes boy, girl, boy, girl. So every other. Okay. Six, four, two, three months. Yeah. It's, uh, my wife was just, I was just on the phone with her earlier and it's like, she's driving and I can't even hear her cause uh, you know, two out of the four are upset and yeah. I'm like, I, I gotta, we'll, we'll talk after the, after we get on this podcast. Once, once everyone's a little more calm. So I haven't seen much about it. Are you guys going to be at Modex this year? Oh, you haven't seen anything on LinkedIn, I, huh? I, I haven't seen anything. <laughs> yeah. What booth? I believe we do have a booth. Okay. All yeah. Right. Yeah. No, your guys' marketing and your your content is awesome. I uh, obviously see it everywhere, like uh, like everybody does. So. Well, uh, and I I don't know if it's just the feed that I get through LinkedIn, but we have so many partners like you guys that are showing our stuff on LinkedIn uh, all the time. So we see. We see our name come up quite often. Yeah, no, that's a good thing. Yeah. Have you obviously you've been at Wirecrafters for a very long time? Have you always been comfortable doing all the content creation and getting in front of the camera, or is that something you've just gotten better at and more comfortable? Uh, you know, over time? I don't know. The more you do it, the you get more relaxed with it. But I guess I was just never that nervous about doing it. Yep. So yeah. Yeah, I was, I mean, I, I get uncomfortable doing it, but then once you realize like, what's the worst that can happen, you know, someone sees it yeah. and thinks I'm crazy or think I'm, thinks I'm not good at this. Like, okay, that's the yeah. worst that can happen. So, and, and I've got a, a good video guy that can edit just about anything. So, so do we, <laughs> so do we, 
That's why that's we're not doing key. this live. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. the key. Yeah. No, it makes a huge difference when you can make something, you know, not, not diminishing wire, but like, you know, making wire look cool and interesting and getting, you know, a couple million views on, on your YouTube pages about, you know, things yeah. that you would never think that you would get that many views on. At least I wouldn't. You know, the, when, when the marketing guys did the tape measure and said, you know, show me pick where you think is six inches, that thing hit 20 million views, which I'm, I don't know. Unbelievable. Yeah. 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 Well, there, I saw there was one on your page that, you know, the cam camera went over around asking people for somebody's number. Yeah. Like it was, I think there was 3 million views on that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like, do you know this? It was like, do you know this person's extension or something like that? Well, no, that was from that song. That oh, song, okay. And what's Jenny's number? Okay. Well, they, when they came to me, and said, do you know Jenny's number? Well, my wife is Jenny. <laughs> and I was like, well, I started to give them her phone number. No, I was with you there. Yeah. Why do you need my wife's number? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just giving it out. No question. Everybody else kind of read into it. But when I hear what's Jenny's number, I think of my wife. So. Hey, I, I was with you there. That was over my head. So, um, <laughs> and then I was Googling you because I've always wondered, I'm like, you know, when I saw you at the trade show a couple of years back, I'm like, I wonder if you played basketball, you know, did you play basketball back in the day? And I, and I looked down, I saw the one video that you guys did. It's actually you playing basketball, like in the driveway. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't near as good as you. <laughs> no, no, I just, I was, uh, did you play, did you play in college? I, no, I just played high school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I, you I, know what's, what's funny is probably the most competitive basketball I did play. I played intramurals at university of Louisville. And when I think back, three of the guys I played against ended up playing in the NFL. Really? And and they were just damn good athletes. Yeah. I mean, really good. Were they on the football team and they could just do the intramural basketball? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we were never allowed to do that. That would have been fun to play yeah. against the students. But yeah. when I was I was at South Dakota for two years and Marquette for three, we were we were we were pretty much I mean, we were not supposed to go to the rec center and play, but we still did because it was yeah. fun. It's fun to play against our friends and yeah. and not take it so seriously all the time. But, yeah, there's some real talent. There's some real talent, especially when you get the football players out there just dunking over everybody. I, I do have an Al McGuire story. Okay. Start with he that. He was already gone when you got there. Yeah, he was a little before me. Yeah. Uh, I was with my wife and a, and a couple other couples – and we were going to the Billy Joe concert that was in Freedom Hall where the University of Louisville plays all their games. This, so this goes back, you know, a few years. And we went to this hotel that's across the street before the concert. And we said, let's meet there and have a few drinks. Then we'll go into the concert. So we go into the lounge at this hotel 
wasn't hardly anybody in there. We're having a couple drinks, and we look over, and here comes Al McGuire and Dick Enberg. So the next day, they had the U of L, the UCLA game. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, going to be, I guess, CBS or NBC, whichever they were. And I was wearing one of those, uh, it was a red silk Louisville jacket. So it was kind of a nice looking sports jacket back in the day. And Al McGuire says, because I'm 6'5", Al McGuire says, hey, Stretch, come over here and sit with us. <laughs> so I went and I took my drink. And I sit down with Al McGuire and Dick Enberg, and they just start kind of asking me, okay, you've got on a Louisville jacket as big as you are. What can you tell us about the game tomorrow? So I sat there for probably the next 15 minutes and kind of, you know, gave my opinion of the different players and, and how the game might go. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. No, I know he was he was uh, well dressed, so he definitely liked your yes. definitely liked your sport coat. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, no, I uh, again, I appreciate you appreciate you coming on. This is um, sent over a few questions for you, just so there was some some background. But yeah. you know, you've been at Wirecrafters over is, how, how long has it been? LinkedIn says forty plus years. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be forty four in November. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So how did, and you, you went straight from U of L to? Yes. To Wirecrafters? Yes. I, uh, I graduated from the University of Louisville. I was 21 years old, uh, graduated 1980. And I worked at a little food mart right down the street from Wirecrafters. But, and I worked there all through high school and college. So I was at this little food mart for six years. The gentleman at the time that was the president of Wirecrafters would come into that food mart and he would get gasoline or get a soft drink, whatever. I never knew his name. I never knew where he worked. I never knew anything about it. And he would come in and I noticed that about every four to six months, he would ask me, one time he said, are you in school? And I told him, yes, I go to University of Louisville. He would come back and he would just say, hey, are you still in school? And I'd say, yeah, I've got two more years. He said, okay, great. And he kept coming back and he kept coming back till one day he said, are you still in school? And I said, no, I graduated a couple months ago. Now I'm putting out resumes, uh, 1980. The economy was not that good. So he handed me his card and said, I've got a business down the road. And, you know, why don't you come down there and interview? I'm looking for a salesperson. And at the time he had one guy. Uh, it was a very small company had one salesman. So I went down there, applied and, uh, very humble beginnings with, with a college degree in hand. I took the job at $2 and 90 cents an hour. And I thought, you know what, I'll get in on the ground floor. 
I'll stay here a year or so. I'll get some experience. And he told me, he said, I'm going to have you work out on my production floor for a week. Then I'll have you work in our engineering department. And that's when they did drawings on a big drawing table and everything was done in pencil. There wasn't a computer in the building. And I would go in engineering for a week then I would go in and sales for a week, knowing I was going to be a salesman at the end of the training. So after about three to six months, I stayed in the sales department. So it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's one of those things too. Like even when people come in now, it's like you want to, as salespeople, if you just have them, you know, if you have them come in and just start selling, you know, it's, it is kind of diff it is difficult no matter what, but if they can understand the process, right. And that's obviously what, uh, that's right. what, ha what happened with you? Well, you stayed for a little longer than a year. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. What is, you know, when I say what's changed the most, I mean, I, I know the product portfolio that you guys can provide is, you know, probably exponentially larger from when you guys first started. What, like, what were you selling primarily when you first started? Yeah. For the most part, it was just storage cages. Okay. So people needed a tool crib. Uh, they just needed an inventory storage. So we did a lot of just simple eight foot, 10 foot high cages, uh, and pretty basic at that time. And as the years went by, we would honestly, we just listened to the customer's needs and they would tell us, Hey, can, you know, I want to put this around, uh, an active machine. Can, and I don't need the eight foot high. Can we do something a little different? And all the different applications that we show today, honestly, it was just simply listening to the customer. Yep. No, that makes sense. What was the, what comes to mind? What's the coolest project you've worked on? I mean, I know you guys are in sports arenas. You're in, you've done some massive aerosol cages. But what's the most, what, what, what's the coolest project you've had? Uh, you know, as, as far as just really kind of different or neat projects, there's, there's been so many, some, some that come to mind is, you know, at the Philadelphia Eagles stadium, they used to take all the drunks and people causing trouble and they would, they would take them downtown and keep them till Monday morning. And then the judge would come and all of this stuff. So today, if you get in trouble at a Philadelphia Eagles job or game, I'm sorry, there's about four holding cells down in like the basement of the stadium. They take the guys, they put them in those holding cells. They bring a judge to the stadium on Sunday night. They process them at the stadium. And then I guess they put them in an Uber or have somebody drive them home. But 
you know, that that's like a very kind of cool, different yeah. story that we tell. Uh, but doing <laughs> some, some of the, the neat jobs is just some of these large data centers uh, are just unbelievable what goes on. Uh, some of these very large drug cages. Um, we've done, you know, I went out and helped measure a job for Amazon that was bigger than a football field uh, in one of their fulfillment centers where they had to go with the tight half-inch square mesh because that's where they store all the jewelry mm. that they're going to sell at Amazon. So, yeah, just some different things like that have been pretty cool. Yeah. No, I don't see the holding cells on your website as something that you uh, promote. <laughs> just right. probably probably an application that you didn't think you'd be getting into yeah, that's uh, right. when you started. No, that's really cool. What's what's changed the most, you know, over your course of um, being there? You know, obviously, co I mean, when COVID, I know you guys probably had to expand and get into, you know, some of the different types of partitions that probably never thought you'd, you'd, you'd have to get into when, you know, COVID came. Um, but I guess what's changed the most? Probably the, the, all the different specialty lock options that we can put on doors from, you know, back, back in the early days, uh, many times it was just a padlock lug and people put a padlock on the door. Uh, you know, and, and we always had the built-in key lock that people would use. But now when you get into the card readers and the keypads and with the automation that we do today, all the safety interlock switches that we sell, that has been uh, a real game changer that we embrace that. And we have even put a lot of those specialty locks on our competition's product. So it uh, that has been probably one of the bigger changes uh, that has really advanced what we do. Yeah, definitely expand. I know that's from from our experience working with you guys. That is a nice. That is a nice. It's just nice that you guys can take care of that side of it. So it's not hey buy the wire and then go figure it out. Right. Um, so it's something that I know we appreciate. Um, and you know, as, you know, go ahead. In, in the, when we first started doing these specialty locks, like special door handles and that, we actually put them inside a wood block, just like if you went to a door store and they had a display of all the different locks, they put them in a little sample piece of wood. Well, that's how we started putting them in our doors. We would put that wood that wood frame and then put our angle iron around mm -hmm. it and we would paint it gray. So from 20, 25 years ago, there's probably still doors out there yeah. that the lock is put in to a piece of wood because that's the only way we knew, knew how to do it in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. That's crazy. Who, who helped you along the way? I mean, I know you had the president of, of the company that, was kind of recruiting you for two years uh, before you started, but 
you know, from a mentorship standpoint or just people that have, uh, you know, kind of took you under their wing? Well, the salesman, the one salesman that was here at the time got, was a guy named Charlie Hagen, and he retired about 15, 16 years ago. And I still see Charlie from time to time. And Charlie was one of those guys that was very street savvy. Uh, you know, you, you've got some guys that are very academic, and then you've got some guys that just have a good sense of how to handle different situations. He was very street savvy. And that helped me tremendously on how to read people, how to handle different customers. Uh, just, yeah, just almost like learning things on the streets itself. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the owner of Wirecrafters now, Steve Debold, and Steve has been uh, been with the company 40 years. And Steve uh, is a came with a finance background from Notre Dame. And he was always kind of hands off the sales department. And, and he always just said, Milt, just, you know what to do, keep doing it, it's going great. And at one point, we needed some additional tools to get to the next level. He stays involved with different groups uh, outside of the company and presents that to us. And he's just really made available the opportunity to grow the company. Yeah. No, it's nice to have support from, uh, you know, obviously the person that owns the company, but, you know, those types of, you know, people kind of letting you just do your thing and not uh, right. not micromanaging. Um, exactly. Which I'm sure is something that, you know, you, your leadership style is probably similar to, you know, to, to theirs. Yeah, very much. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I was talking with um, a few other distributors and just, you know, our guys here, um, but mainly the, the other distributors and people that I were talking to about the, you know, the events, the events that you guys host down in, in Louisville with the, all your distributor partners. Right. And just building relationships, you know, building authentic relationships. So it's not just, hey, sell my stuff, sell my stuff. Um could you just talk about those and the importance of that? Because, I mean, people talk about it and people have really good things to say. And, you know, we just started working with, you know, working with you guys. So we haven't had uh, the chance to get down to one yet. But um, just kind of wanted you to speak on building relationships with, with distributors. Yeah. You know, we, we have found that you, obviously you've got to have a good product and you have to have good service. Uh, but you can, when you look at business, and, and I hate using the cliches, but people buy from people. Mm -hmm. People will continue to buy from people they want to deal with, they enjoy working with. So we started our first dealer council, I believe around 2013 is when we did our first one. And we thought we would do that. We would have that same council for about three years, and then we would start rolling people off and bring new people on. And what we found is the relationships 
that are dealers built with each other. And they just flat said, don't roll me off this council. I want to be here. So we now have four dealer councils and each one has about eight to nine people on it. Uh, So we, we bring them in typically uh, one evening, have a, have a dinner where we include uh, some of our people along with them. And then we, we have our meeting and an I and a typically a fun activity at the end of the meeting. Uh, but I think what's made the biggest difference is we spend close to a half a day and we and we put this out ahead of time where we say, what are your issues? What problems do you have that have nothing to do with wire crafters? Uh, this is your opportunity to have peer coaching and you can cover any subject you want. And we use an outside facilitator to do all of this with us. And I think that has been the greatest thing we can do because these eight to nine people come in and they just start sharing, you know, I'm paying this much commission. I'm looking for insurance for my company. Mm -hmm. I need installers in this area. Uh, Should I have my own installation team? Should I outsource my web development? You know, Mm -hmm. all these questions come up and we just kind of sit back and listen and we will go through all of these and then the next day because it's a two and a half day event the final day we will address each one so we'll spend another couple hours addressing each of their issues or problems yeah and i I think that's really been beneficial for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's a really unique thing as a as a manufacturer, you know, partner from you know for for companies like us to you know to provide that. I was Nate Story, you know, at Storage Solutions was one of the guys I was talking right. to uh, about it, and he was talking about the you know what you had just mentioned, how you guys have your dealer councils, and he was talking Mahita and, and just. You know, kind of when you're first getting into the industry, you don't realize, you know, everyone's kind of out to kind of out for themselves, you know, as a salesperson. And then you realize, you know, when you get into a group of like minded individuals, people actually share, you know, as competitors, you can actually have a conversation, you know, as long as you don't have the scarcity mindset of, you know, everything has to be for me. Um, And he was just talking about that, just how willing, you know, competitors are willing to share information um, and you get to see all of that. Yeah. And it, and it's been really good because, you know, when I first started in 1980, people primarily just did jobs in their territory. Yep. And now everybody's everywhere. <laughs> and, and it's been so neat the way these people help each other with installations around around the country and it's it's not unusual for me to get a phone call from someone like you saying hey Milt I'm up in Milwaukee but I got a job down in Tampa and I need an installer and I'm like yeah here call this guy he can take care of it 
Yeah. Well, with this dealer council, these guys, they have grown their own relationships together, uh, just working with each other. So it, it's been a win-win. Yeah. No, it's got to be cool to see. Um, you've seen a lot of salespeople um, from distributors, obviously, internally. You've seen a lot of you know guys, people at your company, but mainly distributors out there. What What's the common trader skill? that comes to mind in a, you know, in the, in the top salespeople and the ones that stand out from, from the others, what are they you all know, good at? Yeah. Um, we have noticed those, those distributors that, that want to build relationships with their suppliers. It's, it's very common for the manufacturer to go call on, all of his distributors and there's a handful of dis distributors that want to go call on all their suppliers and that not many people do it but it speaks volume yeah. um, you know I, I won't name any names but it's you know there's been a handful of guys that they'll call up and they'll say hey Mill." I'm coming to town. Uh, they've been in our facility, but they they want to take everybody to lunch. And they're like, hey, you want to play a round of golf or, or something? But they are they are visiting their suppliers to just build that relationship. Yep. Uh, and and we can really see a company grow when that happens. Yeah. No, that's what we talk about a lot here is just relationships and it's like yeah everyone kind of thinks of the relationship with us and the end user but it's if we don't have a strong relationship with our you know manufacturing partners or you know, like like you guys and you know we sell a lot of other types of products it's like we have to build that relationship the same way because when you know shit hits the fan in a project if we don't have that relationship yeah. there it's gonna be right. really hard it's going to be really hard to figure figure that out. Whereas, yeah. you know, we have that strong bond. It's a lot easier to work through problems. Well, and, it, and it's funny because, you know, our salespeople, they will get a, our inside team, they'll get a call and it says, hey, I'm in, you know, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, and I need someone to come out and help me with one of your cages. Well, we have a set you know, our salespeople know where we send leads, but you know, who gets on the top of that list a lot of times is whoever comes to that person's mind because they're like, they feel that they really grown with this company and yeah. they'll say, Oh, let's give it to this guy because that person has made an effort, you know, to be a part of us. Yeah. No, leads are a funny thing. When I started two, three, I came from a forklift company. We never got leads. So I didn't even know that was a thing yeah. until, a, until a few years back. I thought I had to go out and find, you know, everything, which I'd much rather have it be that way. You know, right. and it's just, it's one of those things that happens organically as you build a relationship yeah. with, with the different partners. So that's been a nice surprise for us um, just with all the different, you know, people that we work with. So, right. no, it's funny you bring that up. Um what lessons over the last 40 years, you know, sharing, 
can you share with people that haven't been in the industry over 40 years? I mean, obviously you have experience. You know, we just talked about relationships, which I'm assuming would be probably at the top of the list. But is there anything else? You know, and maybe it's because I've been in management, but I think the the biggest thing that's helped me is when you're looking at a situation and there's a problem, uh, do not do not make a decision on how to handle it until you've really made sure you've heard both sides of that story, and you you can you can hear one side and feel like you're totally convinced you understand it a hundred percent what went down. And then you find out, you know, there was something else that they didn't mention. And now you've, you've got egg on your face. Yep. And, uh, if there's, if there's one thing I do, uh, I, I find out both sides of that story before I make it, make my final call on something. Yep. No, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. And we, that's something that we talk about too, is obviously you got to have all the details, but I think one of the big things too, when, when there is a problem on a project or an issue, cause there's, I mean, when you get into some of these bigger projects, there's going to be something that happens. Sure. And it's, you know, having some update is better than no update, you know, having some yeah. sort of response and not running, you know, running away from the problem and staying there head on. It's really obvious when you like when I look back on it, but I look at all the pro like all the customers that I'm the closest with that have now become, you know, pretty much friends are all people or projects that something happened and we, you know, we stuck, we stuck with it. You know, we didn't, we did not, uh, we did not run and hide or, or point fingers. Um, right. So no, that's definitely a, and I, and I look at too, I look at all the, the partners that we have, the ones that we have the closest relationships with are the ones that, you know, m maybe they sent the wrong, you know, beam or maybe they, you know, maybe the, the cage was whatever, you know, instead of 10 feet, it was nine and a half feet and, you know, you guys corrected it. So it's like, those are the strongest bonds we have are with, you know, people that projects or people that have, uh, you know, had issues, but we just stuck, stuck through it. Well, you know, I've, I've told my salespeople, you, you can do a hundred perfect projects for a company, but if you make one mistake, they will remember that long after the hundred that went well. Uh, so you've got to respond and take care of it so quickly. And this sounds almost ridiculous, but you can almost get more credit uh, from somebody when if they ask, hey, what do you think of Wirecrafters? Instead of them saying, oh, we've had nothing but perfect jobs, it might be better for them to say, you know what? They screwed up one time and they took care of it right away. Mm -hmm. And and that, and that sounds, it sounds kind of silly, but that's what they that's what people remember more than anything is, you know, how quick did you handle the mistake? Yeah, that's a real, you know, that's a real answer. You know, that's a, cause they know too, whoever's buying it, you know, they know that there's going to, if there's an issue, they want, they want the people that are going to stand by it. Yeah. They, they expect everything to go correctly. So to say, 
yeah, they always do a good job. You know, they expect that. Yeah. But to say they took care of their mistake immediately, that that speaks volumes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I'm with you there. No, yeah. that's cool. So again, I appreciate you coming on and and, sure. and, and and spending time. I've I've you know, we tried to set it up last year and my communication to you wasn't the wasn't the greatest and we figured out that it was uh it was it was in person, not virtual, which it, for me to expect you to leave uh, Promat, it was Promat. Right. It was, it was kind of a ridiculous thing looking back on it, but I can learn from my mistakes. And and I and I think for you, the information was there, but I I just didn't expect that, so I didn't read yeah. into it like I should have. Yeah, I, no, I could have handled that a lot quicker. <laughs> no, it's all it's all good. It's a good story.